0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. Well, good morning. Welcome. Thank you, for, thank you all for uh, making your way down here. Maybe a little more exciting uh, trip to church this morning, if not a little bit more complicated. My name is Justin Riley. I'm one of the parish elders here at Trinity Church Denver Uh, Brian Brown, our ministering elder and uh, full-time pastor, is away uh, visiting some family this weekend. So it is my distinct pleasure to get to preach uh, this text this morning on the topic of wisdom and money. So we spend, uh, here at Trinity, we spend our summers in the Proverbs. Uh, We are uh, grateful that God in his kindness has given us this book of wisdom meant to instruct us in the most practical of ways, On so many topics. And so today, uh, Brian was gracious enough to give me the topic of money. And uh, next week, here's just a, for your information, next week the topic will be sex. So families, there you go. Heads up. And Brian is preaching. (laughs) Double heads up. Uh, Let me pray and, uh, and we'll jump into our text. God, thank you for your goodness and kindness. God, we thank you that you've given us your word. I thank you that you've given us Proverbs in particular. God, that you've given us this entire book of wisdom. Um, God, when we are uh, short-sighted or have trouble understanding what your will is, God, you give us this gift of uh, this kind of text that gets pretty clear with us on how we ought to live. And so we're grateful for uh, the, the clarity of your instruction. I pray, God, that you would uh, change the ways that we uh, think and speak and act. Um, God, shape us with the, the truth of your word this morning uh, by the power of your spirit. God, may, uh, may all that we say and do this morning uh, be for your glory. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, Proverbs 22, this first nine verses, we see a father instructing his children um, on a good and right view of money. And a good and right view of money is predicated on a right, ordered, a right ordering of our loves. So this should come as, as no surprise, but when we have rightly ordered loves, lots of things fall into place, Right? Uh, our view of money is among those. So, I have for you uh, four observations, and then I have a few instructions from this text and from uh, even other parts of scripture that we're going to pull in and, and look at um, to help us to understand how is it that God wants us to see money, uh, what, how ought we to view it, how ought we to wield it for his glory. So the first observation here is that there are, there are many things that are more important um, and ought to be valued more highly and pursued more than money, providing uh, which provides us a, uh, some specific clues about the proper ordering of our loves. And so if we look at this text, I'm going to call out just a handful of things. Obviously, our love and pursuit, our value of God, um, our Value of our spouse, our children, even uh, this text begins with a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor uh, better than gold, silver or gold. And so a good name, a reputation, favor before God, humility, uh, the fear of the Lord, all of these things are ought to be more highly valued than our pursuit of money or riches um, as you as you hear that list of these are the things that are, are more important for us to pursue than money itself, you should hear in that a, a description of relationships, of human relationships, that are always a higher priority than, than the pursuit of money. So essentially, your relationship with God, your relationship with other people, uh, and even your own identity. So when you're... Uh, when when your money or lack of money becomes your identity, that's a good indicator that idolatry has taken hold. Idolatry. This is uh, this this came up even as we were as a family reading through some catechism questions last night. Um, the that uh, idolatry is when you uh, trust put your trust in the creation, a created thing, over the creator. Money is quite frequently that thing. How easy is it for us in our culture? How many friends or relationships do you know? uh, Friends you have, relationships that you have, who who you can look at their life and say, wow, their single greatest pursuit in life, their single greatest goal in life is to make a bunch of money. Believing in, in all sorts of false hopes about what that money might bring. Now, I want... I want to point out and, and ask you to note that he he uh, runs through this list of here's how we ought to view money, and we're going to dig into this a lot more. But note that he says all of this without calling money evil. It's not the money that's inherently the problem. Okay, so let's hold on to that. Money is a tool; it's not uh, an evil unto itself. So the second. The second observation I want you to make is that the Lord is the Lord of both the rich and the poor. So he is the cause of their coming together. So we see this in verse 2. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. God has created inequality. God's goal for humanity is not that we all have the same thing that we all act the same way, that we all have the same outcomes. Um, rather, in, in fact, nowhere in God's word, nowhere does he describe or command an equality of outcomes or even opportunity. Rather, he gives and takes away. Now, if you've, if you've been in the church for some time, if, like in the, I don't know, 2000s, you probably can't hear the phrase he gives and takes away without a little song popping into your head. Everybody, somebody, yeah. Blessed be, yeah. We all did it. It was great. And man, is it not true. It's absolutely true. This comes from Job 1. And uh, we have to, if if that song is the cliche playing in your head right now, um, I want you to just take a step back from that, hear this scripture and believe how true it is. This is Job 1, verse 21, and he said, Naked I I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It it is 100% God's prerogative to give you what he gives you and not give you what he doesn't give you. So who are we then to look at the Lord and complain why he hasn't given us something that he's given someone else? What is that? Jealousy. So this ought to, this this admonition, this even, just this observation that that God has made both rich and poor, he's made them both for his own glory. He's made uh, some wealthy. He's made others not wealthy. He's given uh, financial struggles as a gift to some. He's given an abundance of wealth to others and all of it for his glory. And this should beckon us away from both jealousy and resentment as well as from pride and selfish ambition. So if God has granted you, he's given you an abundance of wealth. Be thankful for that. And the thing that you will have to guard against is pride and selfish ambition. If God has given you the gift of financial struggle, which may not sound like a gift to you, but if that's the story that God has written for you, this should guard you against that jealousy and and selfish ambition, or I'm sorry, jealousy and resentment. So either way, God, in his sovereignty, has gifted you with what you have, whether that's much or whether that's little. And our heart's uh, response should be one of gratitude. So the Lord is Lord of all. He is the maker of all, both rich and poor. And he brings them together. The third observation is that God values humility and fear or reverence of him if we talk about the fear of the Lord, but he values humility and fear of him and delights to give riches, honor, and life. So if we read verse four, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So there's a, there is sort of a natural uh, framework that God has built here where he rewards humility and fear of him if we if we recognize that humility is exactly what i just talked about where we don't put our our faith our hope in money where we don't put our identity in being rich or owning a 172 foot yacht if we don't put our our hope and our faith and our identity in money and yet and Instead of that, we exercise humility and reverence for the Lord. We recognize that it is from God's hand that we have what we have and don't have what we don't have. There is what follows a gift from the Lord, which is riches and honor and life. So money as with all things, and I hope that you hear this message over and over and over and over and over again here at Trinity, that money, as with all things, is a gift. God, as a good and kind Father, gives amazing gifts. And do we treat those things as gifts? So if, he's, if, if God has given you money, do we, do we recognize that? Do you recognize that as a gift from him? It ought to be, money and every other gift ought to be received with joy and stewarded and used to honor him. It is not for your own pleasure. It is not for your own comfort. It is intended to be wielded for God's glory. Every dollar that you have, every dollar that you earn, every dollar that you're given given, every ounce of wealth that you have ever or will ever control is not intended for your own joy or comfort. It is intended to be used to honor him because all of it belongs to him. Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2, the the earth is the Lord, I'm going to read you two, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 24 and Psalm 50. Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2. The Lord is the I'm sorry, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. None of us were there. None of us were here when God created all of what we know as creation. But God was Belongs to him. Uh, Psalm 50. For every beast of the forest is mine. This is the Lord speaking. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do you get it? It's not yours. However many uh, decimals are in your bank account. It's not yours. However uh, grand your home or your car or any of your possessions are, none of it is yours. It's the Lord's. All of it belongs to him. This city belongs to Jesus. Do you get that? This city, everything that's happening out here today, this city belongs to him. He owns it. He's declared that it is his. Every decision made by the Supreme Court, every decision made by an individual person in in every city, in every state across our country, and in, in the entirety of the world, belongs to him. Every dollar that you have is not yours. It belongs to God. So wealth is not and cannot be your ultimate hope. If you think that all of your troubles would just go away if you moved the decimal point on your bank account or your paycheck, um, you would do well to remember Mark 10, which you may not have memorized. This is Jesus' caution following his interaction with the rich young ruler, where he concludes... That it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, please note, Jesus is not saying it's impossible for someone who has a bunch of money to go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. It is an impossible endeavor apart from the grace of God. So there, here's here's a fourth observation. There are right and wrong ways to view and wield money, if we look at verses seven through nine of proverbs twenty two if you still have it open uh, verses seven and eight these, these are two people that that are being described here, and they 're con, uh, contrasted with one another, so verses seven and eight describe one person, verse nine describes another person. Verse uh, 7 and 8 reads, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. So this is, we should have in our mind's eye now, some rich person who is not wielding his money for the glory of God. He is wielding it and probably gained it by, um, by unrighteous by, or even evil ways. Contrasted with this man described in verse 9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. We should read here, the bountiful eye uh, may be understood as uh, a beneficent disposition. It's one who is kind or generous with uh, what God has given him, with his wealth, and he shares his bread with the poor. So there are right and wrong ways to view and wield money. Uh, James talks ab- about this, and we've already touched on what does it look like when you don't have money and you want more money, uh, w- and when that sort of uh, notion overwhelms you, when that is the primary driver. Well, James talks about this in James uh, chapter 3, verses 13 to 16, where he, re- where he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Here. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. How easy is it for us to look around and be consumed by man if i only had that you, you walk out to the garage and you get in your car and think man there is the 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 three model year newer than this one is i wish i had that one your neighbor drives by in their i don't know whatever your whatever your thing is for me it would be an like a f450 dually for you it might be a Tesla, it might be a ferrari i don 't know, but someone drives by and you look at that car and you go, "Man, if I only had that, if I only had a car that every time I got in it it would start consistently, that would be reliable and safe man that 's so much better than what I have. How easy is it for us because we 're surrounded by this uh, by this rhetoric everywhere we look, advertising everywhere. Is, getting, is aimed at trying to make you discontent. It is trying to make you jealous. It is trying to inspire in you, man, I want that instead of the thing that I have. Rather than being able to look at what you have, um, being able to look at your spouse, being able to look at your kids, being able to look at whatever God has given you in your home and in your car and in your workplace, and be Be grateful. This is, this is not just greed. This is a matter of idolatry. It is to love money and despise God. It is to elevate the created order above the creator. Wayne Grudem, uh, who is a systematic, or he's a theologian, um, who's written a great systematic theology book, but he says that greed is not simply the desire for more. Greed is the excessive desire for more. Did you catch the difference? Is it okay to want things? Sure. Is it okay to have ambition? Well, sure. We'll come back to that. But we, we have to be aware that we cannot serve two masters. Matthew six twenty four. no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You have one ruler. You have one king. You have one Lord. You have one to whom you will bow the knee. Is it money? Or is it King Jesus? How you spend your money reveals something about you. It, it can reveal a lot about you, right? You, you know this. You you see this maybe in your own life. You definitely, we often see it in in the lives of others. Uh, you see the guy rolling down the street in the brand new, um, uh, the, what am I thinking of? What's the one down the street? The Corvette. Yeah. You guys see the, the Corvette? I know I'm talking a lot about cars this morning. If you're not familiar, you should just Google them because they're, the F-450 Dually is dirty. It's super great. Um, but the the Brady um, has a little bit of a thing. I hope I'm not going to out you too much here. It has a little bit of, of a thing when she sees someone in a brand new Corvette driving by and like it's an immediate like, oh, wow, there's a midlife crisis just driving down the road. Um, which is probably mostly true. I don't know. Maybe you have a brand new Corvette and maybe you're not in a midlife crisis and uh, good on you. Uh, drive that thing to God's glory. Um, but... How you spend your money reveals something about you. Matthew 6.21 tells us this, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like, you invest in the things that matter to you, right? In the things that you love, the things that you care about most, whether that's a, a hobby. Um, I know I keep going back to the car thing. It could be your home. It could be the the clothes that you wear. It could be the the... Where you shop for food. Like it could be anything. Like we are super good at trying to uh, elevate ourselves or gain status by how we spend our money. Because it signals something to everyone else around us. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, let me go back to James for a second. Ambition purely for selfish gain uh, is what James is absolutely warning us of. But I want to be careful that we don't demonize money or, or even ambition. Because what he is not saying, what James is not saying is that ambition itself is sin. Just like scripture itself is not saying that money is the sin. Money is not the problem. Ambition is not sin. On the contrary, God gives us ambition as a gift and then instructs us how to use it. Or how to achieve it, uh, Luke eighteen nine to fourteen. Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, you might recall this. I'm going to flip here really quick. Give us just a quick reminder. So we're Luke eighteen. It's nine to fourteen. Is this whole interaction? Oh no, that's definitely the rich young ruler. I wrote down the wrong reference. The Pharisee and the tax... I'll just tell you. The Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Um, where uh, the, the Pharisee is looking at all the things that he's done, all the, all the strict obedience to the law that he's done, and he says, well, surely you're going to bless me. And the tax collector falls down on his knees and says, please forgive me, right? Like, he, he's... The, the tax collector demonstrates utter humility. The Pharisee, utter pride. But what Jesus says is uh, humble yourself and you will be exalted. He doesn't say, Don't want, don't desire to be exalted. Don't desire a place of honor. He says, here's how you get there. It's not how you think. So it, he, he never strikes down: hey, you shouldn't have ambition. You shouldn't desire to be honored. You shouldn't desire uh, wealth. He, what he says is the way to get there is different than you think. It comes by humility and by the fear of the Lord. I have three instructions from, uh, from this text and from others as we, as we kind of walk through. Uh, what do we do then? How ought we to live? How ought this scripture, how ought the wisdom of, of God teach us to live um, with our money, the first one is to walk in humility in the fear of the Lord. Hopefully, that's not a surprise to you. Hopefully, I've been clear um, in this scripture teaching us that humility and fear of the Lord uh, leads to riches and honor in life. There's a, there's also in this a connection to last week's sermon. Uh, last week, Brian preached from Proverbs twenty-four. Uh, Proverbs 24, verses 32 to 34, he says, Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. So there's a God ordained method by which God uses our diligence, our faithfulness, our humility, and our obedience, uh, our obedience to Him as a means to bless us. In this life, but most importantly, in eternity, building treasures in heaven. Now, the, the hang-up here is that we would often look at this list of characteristics, of diligence, faithfulness, humility, obedience, and we would wear those as a badge of honor, as a, as a, uh, as, as a sort of means to entitlement. Well, I deserve this because I've been good and faithful and just and um, obedient, problem there is like all of those things are a gift from him. Our ability to be faithful, our ability to be humble, our, obi- our ability to be obedient to him in the first place comes from him. It's a gift from his hand. We can't even take credit for it. So there's a delicate balance here. Well, He calls us to be faithful and diligent and obedient. So we ought to be diligent, uh, faithful, and obedient and humble. While recognizing that he 's the one that enables us to do that, um, and that will produce fruit, like God delights to reward that obedience, some of your work will produce um, a means by which you can support yourself and your family there, there is work that you, that God will call you to god, uh, Brian talked about working in the field that god 's put before you that that, that he's set in front of you. And some of those fields will produce much fruit, abundance of financial resources. And some of the work that God's going to call you to, the fields that he sets before you, will be an act of obedience meant to produce honor and life and may not come with a paycheck. So our our work sometimes brings money. Sometimes that's exactly how God intends to provide for us. In other times, he's calling us to work. He's calling us to be obedient in fields where we may not get paid for it um, financially and like it's still our obedience. So there is this connection between work and money. We should recognize that. We should recognize that God intends to provide for us uh, by our faithfulness, by our obedience and diligence. Secondly, we are to honor God in how we wield the gifts that he gives. So this, all of this, I started by, by uh, telling you, reminding you that um, this, is, this is a sermon about rightly ordered loves. If we love money above all things, we should hear those words resonate in our head that the love of money is the root of all evil. But rightly ordered loves... Um, mean that we are delighted to honor God with the gifts that he gives. And it starts with recognizing that they are gifts from his hand in the first place. So if, if the gift that God has given you is financial difficulty, then give thanks. Ask God to reveal what he intends to teach you and pray for provision and trust God. If the gift that God has given you is monetary abundance, then be generous. Give freely as you've been given to. It's not yours in the first place. It all belongs to God. And then consider with great intention what it looks like for you to to honor God with your financial investments. Husbands and fathers... Your role is to cast vision for your your spouse and for your family. Cast vision for what it looks like for, for your money to or for your family, for your household to wield its financial resources for for the glory of God and the good of people. You are called to cast that vision. Wives and mothers, work diligently with your husband on what that vision looks like tactically played out in your home. Regardless of whether you work outside the home or inside of it, we must recognize our roles and the, the, um, what God has called us to do to come together as a household and wield the resources that he's given us for his glory. And it involves each of us. If, if you are not married um, and you think about, then, then you need to think about the vision that God has for you that, and, and how he desires you. Uh, for you to be intentional about how you wield the resources he's given you. In all cases, money is a resource, it's a tool, uh, and it is intended to be used to honor God. So we must be good stewards of those gifts, like the parable of the talents from Matthew 25. Quick refresher here. Uh, This is a, a parable Jesus tells, he gives Talents, uh, money to each of to three to three different men. Uh, One of them takes takes it, doubles it. One of them gives back what he uh, or not quite doubles it, but earns something on it, gives it back. The third one takes it, buries it because he says, "I don't want to. I don't want to lose it. If I just give it back to the master when he comes back, he'll be delighted." Well, that's not exactly how the story plays out. Um, In this parable. The master looks at the one who buries the money and just gives it back to, the, to him and says, away from me. <laughs> like you knew that I was a hard master. You, you should have known to do something with this. And Jesus concludes this parable by saying, for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, we need to understand the talents and generosity are are not just with our financial resources, not just with wealth. um, But we should be thinking about how we wield the gifts, talents, abilities, all of what God has given us for his glory. What does it look like to honor him with all of those gifts? The third instruction here is to be generous. So, the... The solution we already talked about. God, God has created inequality. God, God has not uh, looked at His people and said, "You must work toward equality of outcomes." And, and so, the the solution, though to call it a solution is even a misnomer because it implies a problem. But the wise response to inequity is not socialism. It's not uh, to destroy a system. It's biblical obedience. So whether, we're, whether you are rich or whether you are poor, in terms of monetary resources, you're called to be generous with money and with all the other gifts that God's given you. With money, uh, it's easy for us to, well, I guess with a lot of things, it's easy for us to want a formula. Right? Like, can you, God, could you please just shoot me straight? Like, what's the easiest way to do this? How, how do I be generous? Like, how much do I have to give to be considered generous? Is it a percentage of my salary? Is it a dollar figure? Like, we just want to know the cut and dried. Like, what's the super easy answer? C.S. Lewis addresses this, this exact question. And he says, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our giving habits do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we want to do but cannot do because our giving expenditures exclude them. That's generosity. We ought to be generous uh, with our family. More, uh, more times than I'm going to cite, um, God calls us to build a legacy. And again, this is a—it's—it's it's a financial. Um, there's a financial component to this, but it's not just uh, building up a bunch of wealth to pass it down to your kids, generation to generation. That is a component of it, uh, but the the entire. Um, covenantal notion the entire concept of covenantalism looks at man god has called a people and he looks at this people to hand down from one generation to the next a legacy of the, of honoring the lord so that absolutely uh, should include financial resources proverbs 13:22 tells us that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children And the way that we do that matters. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Church, we are created by God in his image, intended to model our actions after him. So let us be generous. Let us give thanks. Let us be faithful and diligent with all that he gives us. All of it belongs to him. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. There's not one square inch of creation over which God has not declared that it is mine. We would do well to remember that every dollar that we ever earn, every, every dollar that we ever uh, have the privilege to control, every business that we get to be a, a part of or run or start, all of it belongs to him. And it should be uh, it should be wielded for his glory and for the good of people let 's pray. God, you are a good and kind father and king. You delight to give your people rewards for their obedience to you for their uh, for their faithfulness to you. And God, I pray that as your people, we would, we would have hearts overflowing with gratitude for the gifts that you give us. God, the, the gifts for us to even have the, the faith to be obedient, to, um, to walk in faithfulness, all of it is a gift from your hand. God, in your mercy, you, you've given us um, uh, this win in a, in a, a Supreme Court decision. And God, we're grateful for your mercy. And God, we we pray that you would continue, God, to to call people to obedience, to call people to faithfulness, to call people to repentance. God, for those who reject you outright, God, that their hearts would be changed. God, that the scales would fall from their eyes and they would fall um, before you. God, that they would submit to you as their God and King. God, we thank you for the the resources that you've given us as a church, as families, as individuals. And I pray, God, that you would would open our eyes, God, even this week, on how we ought to serve you with those those resources. God, may we honor you. May we love you. May we, in abundance, God, um, be grateful. And may we be generous. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.